Good morning, everyone. If you'd like to stand and sing with us, we're going to sing Jesus Messiah first. And then um, at the cross, if you'd like to use your hymnals, it should be on, on the screen, but if you'd like to use your hymnals, we're going to do page 139, the first and the last verse. <clears throat>
Psalm 73. We're going to deal with all 28 verses, but I'm not going to read all 28 verses right at the moment. We will read as we go through them. But I will read verses 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 73. And, and the message deals with an age-old question. Beginning in verse 1 says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, in my lifetime, I've heard a few questions asked that I didn't have answers for. Let me give you three examples. Here's the first one. How does a black cow eat green grass and give white milk? Can y'all answer that question? Have you ever thought about that question? Black cow eats green grass and gives white milk. I can't answer it. It just works that way. Second question that kids love to ask their parents, why is the sky blue? Well, I know there's a scientific answer for it, but if you're like me, you really probably don't know that scientific answer. I don't know, honey. It's just always been blue. Pretty good answer, isn't it? Or the third question, it's not just children who ask this, but it's usually adults. And this question is, where did God come from? Can you answer that? I can't. The Bible says that God always has been. And if you think about that for a little while, your mind will begin to explode. That God has always been, not a beginning, and always will be, so there's not an ending. Wow, that is really hard for me to comprehend. So I, I cannot answer where did God come from. But there's another question that often gets asked that I really don't have an answer for either. And here's the question. How can God allow the wicked to prosper and the righteous to suffer? I, I feel sure that you've either had that question asked of you or you've asked yourself that question. Why do the wicked seem to live a life of leisure with anything and everything they want and we see God's children very often struggling in trying to make ends meet. This is not a new question. This question has been around as long as time has existed, I believe. I know it has been around as long as it's been since the book of Psalms was written. Because that's what the psalmist is dealing with in chapter 73. God, how is it that the wicked prosper... And your children do not. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Well, 
I hope that I can help us to understand this this morning. I can't say that I can really answer the question totally, but, but I want us to understand that we are not alone when we ask that question, that we're not alone when we deal with that issue, that is something that has plagued and perplexed mankind for decades and for generations. There are two divisions that I want to break this whole chapter up in. The first division is this, the confession of the psalmist in verses 1 through 14. This is his confession. This is him laying it out, what he believes, what he sees, what he thinks, what, what it is that he is dealing with. Verse 1 deals with his confession of present feelings. Right then, at that moment in verse 1, he says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He's confessing that he knows that God is good. He's confessing that he knows that God will take care of his own. That, that's his present feelings. But then in verses 2 through 14, he confesses his past feelings. What he has been feeling before verse 1. His past feelings in verses 2 through 14 actually reveals that the psalmist was someone full of jealousy and confusion. Jealousy over the wicked and how they prospered. Confusion about why God let them have so much and others have so little. He's like, I just don't understand. Well, look at the reach of these feelings that he had in verse 2. He said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He, he is revealing that his past feelings had gotten to the point that he was almost past going, stumbling, and, and not able to get to where he wanted to go. His feet was slipping. I believe this means that he was struggling with his faith in God. He was struggling with what God could do and would do and what he had done. He, he's like, Man, I, I was in such a turmoil because of what I was seeing. But not just the reach of his feelings, but then verse, in verses 3 through 14, the reasons for it. Why, why was he feeling this way? Well, number one, as I've already said, the prosperity of the wicked is in verse 3. He, he says, I was the envious of them, the, of their prosperity. But not just the prosperity of the wicked, but the passing of the wicked in verse 4. He says, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. And in other translations, it's basically saying that they die easily. <coughs> They've had no issues. And, and, and they just die. After the psalmist says, I've seen people struggle. I've seen them try to make ends meet. I've seen them go through life and death is hard death is hard getting to death and death is hard for them when they get there but not just that but but the peace of the wicked in verse 5 he says they're not in trouble as others are they're not stricken like the rest of mankind he said i've looked around and i've examined them and they just don't seem to have the same problems that i have they don't have the same issues that i have and i don't understand that that they're getting along so well but but then the, the pride of the wicked in verse 5 he, he says you know that they're not stricken like the rest of us are in verse 6 therefore their pride is their necklace 
they, they wear their pride. They, they're proudful people. Look at what I have. Look at how much money. Look at my property. Back then, they could have said, look at my slaves. They could have said, look at my livestock. They could have said, look, look, look at <coughs> all that I have. Psalmist is struggling as he examines all of this. So what, what are the results of his feelings? In verses 13 through 16, we find what these results are. Beginning in verse 13, he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Vanity is what he's saying. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He is just full of inward conflict. Why bother? Basically is what he's saying. If I, if, if I try to understand, it, it's just wearing me out. To, to look at these people and how evil they are. And look at these kings and how evil they are. And to see what they're prospering with. And, and, and I'm trying to understand it and process it. And he says... It just wears me out. In verse 13, he says, it's just vain that I have kept my heart clean. It's a waste of time in what I've done. Wow. Isn't this a confession? That the psalmist, who so often is given praise to God in every psalm, the psalmist is here revealing his past feelings and, and how that he struggled with the way of the world and how that those without any belief in God were prospering. We can make the same confession probably. How many times have we looked around and looked at the wicked and thought, man, if only. That's what happens with a lot of people when they they get caught up in the lifestyle of the rich and famous. That they look at the lifestyle of the rich and famous, their luxury vacations, their their thousand dollar meals, their 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 clothing that we can't even begin to imagine. Their clothing will cost more than we make in a year's time, and and so many people get caught up in that, and they it is so glamorous looking, and these people are living ungodly lives, they're having multiple affairs, they're, they're drunk, they're on drugs, they're, they're out sowing their wild oats, they're out partying, they're, they're doing anything and everything except for living for God, and yet look at all that they get to do. And people watch them and they, they fantasize about what would it be like to live their lifestyle. Well, in reality, it would not be good. Because behind all of that glitz and glamour, there's a lot of heartache and sadness that is eating them alive. But we see the pictures, we see the, the TV shows, we, we see all of that, and we begin to be like the psalmist. Why? Why them and not us? The second division is the consolation of the psalmist. He received consolation. 
the same consolation that we need. In verses 17 through 28, look in verse 17 and look at the place of his consolation. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. He says, I was struggling with all of this. I was burdened down with all of this. I felt like that it was a waste of my time doing what I was doing. He was like, look, look at the wicked and how they're prospering. And, it, it, and I was so struggling until, until I went into the sanctuary of God. For us, it would be the, the local church house. As, as we come to church together, as we worship together, there's a consolation that comes to us. We're, we're consoled, not just by God, but by each other. As we sometimes jokingly talk about what we have faced and what we have dealt with, others will be listening and say, yeah, been there, done that. As we jokingly talk about taking care of children and the struggle of taking care of children, and anyone who's ever taken care of children, they, they know that. And for those who haven't yet, they're listening, and, and when their time comes to take care of children, it's like, I remember when they said, oh, how hard it was. We, we console each other just by being together in the church house. That The place of consolation it's not going to be in the bar. It's not going to be in the nightclub. It's not going to be hanging out with, with, with lost friends and doing whatever. The, the consolation is not going to come from being a part of the world. The consolation will come from being in God's house, in his sanctuary, where that God has promised to meet his people, where God has promised to be present, where that we sing praises together, we, we have preaching, we, we have prayer time, and we're able to worship God. Not just the place that he names of his consolation, but the picture that he sees while he's there in verses 18 through 20. He says, truly, you set them in slippery places and you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He's saying, God, I understand that there will be a judgment time. That you are going to judge these people. And they're going to have to give an account for the way that they're living and what they're doing and, and all that they're saying. And he's consoled in the fact that God will make things right. He, he will balance the scale, so to speak. But also the pronouncement that he makes in verses 21 through 22. He says, when my soul is embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. He's saying, God, compared to you, I didn't know anything, but you knew everything. I, I was just ignorant. You ever, have you ever felt ignorant before? Ronald's granddaddy didn't say ignorant. He said ignorant. Somebody do something, he said he's just ignorant. That was a kind way of saying, boy, he ain't got it. But he said, as I look around and as I see you bring in judgment and justice, I understand how little that I understand. I understand how little bit that I know. So he sees this picture and the pronouncement that he makes. But then 
It's about the person that he trusts in verses 23 through 28. Who is it that he's trusting? He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. And what does he say God does? You hold my right hand. You walk with me. You guide me. You keep me safe. That, that right hand, the, the hand of power, it is there to provide for me and to protect me. In verse 24, he says, you guide me with your counsel. So, so God not only holds our hand, but he guides us in the path we should go. He helps us to understand. He reveals the truth of Scripture to us. And in verse 24b, the, the reception that he's talking about. And afterward, you will receive me. Where? To glory. The psalmist said earlier that God will set the wicked in slippery places, make them fall to ruin. They'd be destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by, by terrors. You're going to rouse yourself and despise them as phantoms. But then he says, but as far as me, you're going to receive me into glory. Friends, this is not our home. We often try to make it our eternal home, don't we? Now, I, I, I like pleasure. Anybody in here like pleasure? I, I like comfort. Anybody else in here like comfort? I mean, I, I, I like looking at the beauty of this world. I, I, I like a lot about living. But understand, this is temporary. Everything that we see, everything that we enjoy, it, it is all temporary. This, this building, it's temporary. Our homes, our houses, they're, they're temporary. The, the vehicles we drive, they're all temporary. The, the jobs that we work, they're all temporary. There's nothing in this world that is permanent except for our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we die or when God returns and the judgment takes place, He's going to receive us into glory. We may not have the best now, but we'll have the best then. The, the scales will be balanced. The wicked will have enjoyed their pleasures while living, but their pleasures will end with death and with judgment. The saved may struggle while they're living, but at death and the judgment, they're going to receive their rewards in heaven. Now, which is more important? A temporary time of pleasure or an eternal time of blessing with God. That's how we have to picture this world that we're living in. In verse 25, he talks about where he resides. Uh, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He, he's wanting to be in heaven with him. And in verse 26, he's talking about his strength. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He will give me strength. So the psalmist started out in verse 1 talking about, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then he begins to confess how he has looked at the world, how he has looked at riches and, 
and the wicked. He, he begins to confess how confused he became over all of it. But then he starts talking about that consolation that comes from being in God's house, being with God's people, hearing from God's people, knowing who God is and what God will do. And it changed his whole outlook. If you remember on last week, I attempted to share with you about living in a troubled world. We are in a troubled world. There's no doubt about it. And part of this living in a troubled world includes this very question that we're dealing with. Why is it that the, the wicked prosper while the godly suffer? We, we look around us in this troubled world and we see this every day. We see the ungodly prospering. They, they prosper financially. They, they live a life of ease. They, they don't seem to have a care in the world. And it's hard for us to understand, hard for us to accept that this is happening. Hopefully, after the message today, we can better understand that we struggle with this reality. And we must remember that at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, it's not the one who has the most money and possessions that will enjoy eternity, but rather the one who knows Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what we've got to depend upon. That's what we bank upon. Now, I'm not saying that we should all desire to live a life of destitution. And I'm not saying we should not enjoy pleasures and comforts and the good things of the world. But we cannot focus upon that apart from the fact of it being so temporary, but heaven being eternal. We may not receive our blessings that we want now, but we're going to receive our blessings then, forever and forever and forever. This is an age-old question. And as long as the world stands, someone else will ask this question other than me and you. And God's word will still be true for them. Wouldn't you stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment?